0: Hello, and welcome to our second bonus edition of Outward for the Holy Month of Pride. I'm Christina Cotarucci, a senior writer at Slate, and my goal for you this month, our listeners, with all these extra episodes, is that you never have to hear a single heterosexual voice in your earbuds until the 1st of July. So we're going to be shoveling more gay stuff at you all month long. Um, you're Welcome. So before I get started here, I just want to give you a reminder that we want to hear what you're doing for Pride Month during this moment of rising threats to trans and queer people, but also opportunities for queer joy. How are you celebrating? What are you mourning? How are you thinking about Pride this year? For me, as I tape this, DC Pride is one day away. I'm especially looking forward to a tradition that my friends and I started in 2019 of renting a boat with like 60 people and having kind of a wild party on the water on the Sunday of Pride. Uh, it's just been nice to have our own little tradition that's an alternative to all the official Pride pomp and circumstance. But what about you? Send us a voice memo at, outwardpodcast at slate.com, and we might play a few of you on one of our shows this month. Okay, the conversation I'm having today really encapsulates... Why I love doing this job. It's kind of my dream episode. I've brought in two people I really admire to talk about one of my favorite topics in the world. Something essential to my experience as a queer woman, to my coming out, to my friendships, to my marriage, to how I travel and how I get a handle on who we are as a community. Something that is so dear to my heart that I kind of can't help but give it some shit because I want it to be its best self. And that thing is the lesbian bar. There are only about 28? Two dozen of them? It's always kind of changing, but there's about that many open and operating in the U.S. right now, depending on how you define it. And today, I'm here with two people who have recently been to almost all of them. Krista Burton is the author of the recently published book, Moby Dyke, An Obsessive Quest to Track Down the Last Remaining Lesbian Bars in America. Also, back in the day, Krista wrote the incredibly formative, for me, queer blog, Effing Dykes, Krista, what an honor. Welcome to Outward. Uh, This is an honor. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. We're also joined by Naomi Gordon-Lobel, a writer and sommelier who just got back from a road trip to visit every dyke bar in America over the course of a single month. Naomi, I hope you've rested up. It's great to have you on the show.
1: I'm so excited to be here.
0: So you two have both clearly spent a lot of time in lesbian bars before taking on these projects and presumably gave a lot of thought to the question of what the role of the lesbian bar is in today's queer culture, what purpose it serves. And I'd love to know if you came to any kind of new conclusions on that topic over the course of your trips. Krista, let's start with you.
2: I mean, I'm 40, I've spent about 20 years almost exclusively socializing in queer and lesbian spaces, (laughs) if I possibly can. And um, I went in knowing that as a background that these spaces have always been sources of immense queer joy for me. And I think seeing them all so much, going to the bars so many times over the past year and a half, really just emphasized that for me, (laughs) like really, showed me that these places, even if you're having an off night, when you return, they still are these places of profound joy and happiness in uh the queer community.
1: What about you, Naomi? Yeah, I um joy is a word that I really associate with these spaces too. I went across the country. It's like all these spaces, I would go into them and I just it's this it's the most beautiful thing to me that you are you know, I was always aware I was a stranger. Like, I'm not from here. I I don't know anybody here. I'm definitely from out of town. And a lot of these places, people were like, oh, yeah, you're not from here. But I'm also home in a way. And that's really the most beautiful kind of duality. I mean, both of
0: you went to several of the bars alone. And I know that's like something I'll also do when I'm in a new place. If I happen to be alone, like I'm traveling for work or something. It's, One of the few bars that I would feel comfortable going into alone is a lesbian bar. How did people treat you when you were alone? Did you end up talking to people, making
1: friends? Yeah, people were so warm and friendly to me. Uh, I think just about without exception. Like at a bar in Denver, I sat next to these two people and I've been sitting there for a while. And then one of them... Like, you know, we'd probably been sitting next to each other for like 15 minutes and the bar is packed and we were in the only like I had taken the last seat that there was. And the bar is called Blush and Blue. And uh, finally, this person leans over to me and she was like, what are you drinking? Which is the most generic question that anyone could ever ask anyone in a bar. Like, what are you drinking? It's like right there next to like, uh, come here often. But it was like, <laughs> she so clearly wanted to talk to me. And. And not for any reason other than that she was like, I don't know you, you're here. Let's chat. And I ended up having a wild night with those two people. So yeah, yeah, that was pretty representative of my experience. People were very warm and friendly and and welcoming. And Krista, I know you actually set out to, you made a rule for yourself that you
0: had to talk with two people at every bar. Every night you went out, which is really (laughs) impressive, given how like averse queers often are to like approaching strangers.
2: I definitely made rules for the bars that I visited. Each bar got uh, more than one night. Sometimes some bars got five, six nights. All bars got two nights at least. And in those bars, every time I went to the bar, I made a rule that I had to talk to at least two strangers, which was um, awful <laughs> for me at first, because I'm, I'm quite shy uh, around strangers. And so I knew if I didn't force myself to make things happen at the bars, that I would just sit there and have a, a lovely night and nothing would happen. Um, but I had a I had a very similar experience. I feel like, um, I, I never really had a terrible experience at the bars. I felt very welcomed and like similar story. I, I walked into a bar in Mobile, Alabama called hers and I walked in and the door opens and every single person in the bar turned around on their stool. And said hi. (laughs)
0: That's beautiful. What?
2: That's so beautiful. Never happened before.
0: (laughs) Wow, it really is like coming into a space where, like, everyone, you don't know each other yet, but there's already, like, a baseline of familiarity there. That's really sweet. Krista, I know you also write a lot about the sort of trends in lesbian bar decor, you know, (laughs) neon signs. Obviously, we know the classic, like, weirdly, a lot of them are painted red. There's often a pool table. What other sort of trends did you notice? And also, I'd be curious to hear about some notable outliers, if there were ones that were offering something a little different that um, excited you.
2: Sure. I would say a notable trend that you didn't mention, apart from the blood-painted walls, which is such a thing, <laughs> is tchotchkes. Huh. Many, I'm going to say the, the vast majority of lesbian bars have tchotchkes. I feel like as a vast and probably dangerous generalization, <laughs> I think we're all a little bit sentimental. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. But I don't, I can't think of a queer person who does not have a collection of mugs that say funny shit or um, dirty shit or people that aren't hanging on to something that's maybe from like an ex from like 10 years ago. And so I think that that kind of gets reflected in the bars a little bit where there's just like, memorabilia everywhere or like this one funny plastic statue that someone gave you from a kinder egg a decade ago but it has somehow been mounted to the bar <laughs> because that moment was special Yeah, and we are going to
0: savor it I've never seen a minimalist lesbian bar
2: and I was going to tell you for an outlier I have seen a minimalist lesbian bar and it is Boycott Bar huh? Uh, in Arizona um, in Phoenix I felt like the vibe there was not tchotchkes. Um it was kind of industrial chic it was like blue lit it was very very fun and everything looked as if there was if there was a terrible fight in that bar you could hose it down and everything would be completely fine um (laughs) i the bar was built for like heavy use is what i'm trying (laughs) to say and i loved
1: it
0: do they have like jello wrestling or oil wrestling or anything like that because that seems ideal they have tarot reading. I know that, <laughs> of course they do. Um, <laughs> Naomi, I had the pleasure of joining you on the d c leg of your trip and helping escort you to our two establishments. Um, and we talked a bit about what makes a good lesbian bar. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, and you know, also, if you feel comfortable sharing what you think makes for a subpar lesbian bar.. <laughs>
1: You're gonna get cancelled <laughs> i I might make you say what makes for a subpar lesbian bar because I know you have thoughts on that uh but we did have so much fun in d c it was the pen ultimate stop on my trip so it was a lot of joy and excitement um I actually I feel like one of the things that I took away from my trip is that I sort of not sure whether I totally had the assumption that like all lesbian bars would kind of be the same but what I can say having gone to all of them is that they're definitely not hmm. and one of the things that I came away thinking about is that, you know, in the general world of bars, we allow bars to provide different things for different people and different desires and different kind of kinds of nights. So we have a cocktail bar where you want to go have a really nice cocktail and you have a dive bar where you want to take shots and be a little messy. And we have a bar where there, a club where you're going to dance and you have a bar where you can actually hear each other over loud music. And, so many different kinds of spaces. And because there's so few gay bars and particularly there's so few lesbian bars and most places really only have one if they have one at all, we sort of put this pressure on this bar to be everything. Mm -hmm. It has to be the cocktail bar where you go on a first date and it has to be the dive bar where you'd go with your friends and it has to be the place where you go dancing and it has to be the place where you have a birthday party. And like, that's a lot, arguably that's impossible. And so what I noticed is that the bars I went to were really different. I probably had the best cocktail of my whole trip at Nobody's Darling in Chicago, Mm. um, which I believe is now after hers was closed, the only black owned lesbian bar in the country. And they were James Beard Award dominated for their cocktail program deservedly. I had a delicious mezcal something that a bartender made for me there. Um, So that's one thing, right? That's like a cocktail bar with really delicious drinks. And then there's a bar that's like, you know, uh, Alibis in uh, Oklahoma, which feels like a queer cheers. And I think it's great that those spaces can be different and, you know, uh, that we can kind of like allow them to offer different things. And of course, the sad thing is that we can't have like 10 dike bars in every city where I can be like, I wanna go to the cheers or I wanna go to the club. All right, we're gonna take a quick
0: break
1: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts.
0: All right, uh, let's talk something a little more sobering. So, the predominant cultural narrative right now, which is not altogether false, is that lesbian bars are doomed. This narrative has actually existed for decades, as we learned uh, several episodes ago when we had uh, Mered Sullivan, who wrote the book Lesbian Death, on the show. You know, they're shutting down. Of course, many are. Even over the course of y'all's trips, I think, the number of lesbian bars has changed. But part of that is that over the past year or two, a bunch of new spaces have opened in D.C., L.A., Chicago, possibly elsewhere. So... I think we all know the reasons why people say lesbian bars are closing. You know, we have a lot of safe or safe-ish spaces to go to now. We're more mainstreamed. Gay marriage has domesticated us. We have dating apps. Women spend less money than men. But why do you think new ones are opening? What sort of promise exists right now? And are we seeing the dawn of a new era of, you know, resurgent dyke culture and nightlife?
2: I think that we are at the dawn of an exciting new world. Um, I think all of us seeing all of those articles about how, oh, there's only 26 lesbian bars, there's only 22, there's only 21. And they were just screaming headlines all over the news for years, I felt like. And I think that the people who needed to see it finally saw it and decided Mm -hmm. to do something about it is kind of what I think maybe happened. It's It's a theory anyway. And I think it's an amazing thing to kind of watch the numbers creep back up as new people, new generations of queers, discover how fucking fun it is to have a space that's ours. And new people open the bars and say, everybody's welcome, come on in.
0: Yeah, it also strikes me that I think there was a lot of talk in, you know, maybe like a decade or so ago of what is the future of the lesbian bar in an era of, um, you know, trans visibility and uh, gender fluidity. And I actually think that's not as much of an issue anymore. Like, I actually haven't been to a lesbian bar in a very long time where it felt like they weren't making concerted efforts to be, like, a trans-affirming and, like, exciting trans, even trans-focused place to be. Um, So it almost seems like that we've, we've surmounted that. Or, like, you know, clearly there's still a lot of work to be done, but I think that that worry didn't really pan out.
1: I think, you know, on that in particular, I feel like when I, when I would tell people that I was going to every lesbian bar in the country, I would so often get, or that I had just come back from every lesbian bar in the country, I would so often get a response. And it was usually from people who were not dykes and, and very hmm. often straight people, to be honest, who were like, well, but don't you have to answer the question of what is a lesbian bar? Oh, and yeah, I'd be I'm... like, kind of no, like, <laughs> honestly... It's this sort of, it feels a little concerned trolly. And in my experience, all of these bars don't really have a problem with describing who they are in a way that is inclusive and acknowledging of the complexity and expansiveness of our community. So like Henrietta Hudson, for example, describes itself, I'm going to get this slightly wrong, but as a human bar built by dykes or something like that. (laughs) Or like, I think the one in Denver is like a queer bar for everyone. Like there's lots of ways to encapsulate and express the fact that these are spaces that are complex and that are welcoming and inclusive and that are kind of rooted in dyke history and dyke culture. And I feel like it's a false problem that that just gets concerned trolly a bit. That's not to say in any way that people have not had fucked up experiences in dyke bars. The roles of these spaces are changing. And I think my sort of take on the, the closings and the openings, first of all, bars are closing in general. So that's an yeah. important thing to think about is that um, COVID is a huge factor here. Uh, there's bars in general across the country are closing. It's hard to keep a bar or restaurant open. So sometimes I think we tend to like make these things seem like they're very specifically queer problems when they're not. But also I think. Um, what role a dike bar plays has changed, but the necessity of them has not. And so, like spaces are figuring that out, and and I think new dike bars continue to open because they're spaces that we still really need, and that need hasn't gone away, even if what it looks like has changed. Yeah,
2: and I'm gonna jump on that too and say that yes, they're necessary spaces, and yes, we need them, but we also want them. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I want to be in nightlife situations where it's all queers and that's it like I really want that and I think that that is also like part of like the openings and part of the everybody can come like I just want it to be queer and I think that bars are starting to figure that out
0: yeah that's a great point because yeah oftentimes people will talk about like well why do we do we need this anymore um which brings me to my next question because I want to talk about sex So one of the reasons, one of the major reasons to go to a lesbian bar in the era before dating apps, which I think all of us are old enough to have lived through, was cruising. And that's how you met people to date, to hook up with. And, you know, sometimes lesbian bars could feel like, I don't want to say a meat market, but like a farmer's market stall, let's say. (laughs) (laughs) Are people still doing that? Is like, just to get a little spicier with it, like... Is the current imperative to make like a friendly, we welcome everyone bar, is that mutually exclusive with making a sexy bar?
1: Wait, wait, Christina, have you been to lesbian bars that feel like meat markets? Because I want to go to them. <laughs> Talk to us about that.
0: Not anymore. I haven't been to one in a long time. Although sometimes the second floor, the dance floor at a, uh, a league of their own or a league of her own um, can feel a little bit like that. Um, but. I haven't been to one that felt like that. Certainly phase one in D.C. um, before it closed would feel like that to me sometimes. All right. Well, R.I.P. phase one. I know. R.I.P. (laughs) Yeah. Krista, tell me what you were going to say.
2: Naomi, I don't know about what you saw on your trip, but I saw some things on my trip. And I... (laughs) People are at the bars for a lot of reasons. Some of them are out to just have fun with their friends, but some people are out to get it. And I, I mean, I'll I'll share that I was at Sue Ellen's. It's in Dallas. Sue Ellen's in Dallas. Sue Ellen's is like a two-story, like lesbian Studio 54 club, club type bar. And I was on the second floor, on the railing, looking down. As I watched, I saw this queer person holding a beer bottle suddenly clock that a really cutie a cute person was sitting next to them like had just come and sat down next to them and then i watched them do a double take and then go over to them tap them on the shoulder and then full making full eye contact with this new person slowly licked up the neck of their beer bottle like slow motion and i am up full eye contact while they're doing i am upstairs going holy fuck. (laughs) It completely worked. Those two started talking. It was, I, there's behavior and there will always be stuff going on at these bars. People are still there, I think, to like meet other people.
0: I feel like the two genders are like lick up the neck of the beer bottle or like casually lean over and say, what's that you're drinking? Absolutely. (laughs) The only two ways to be in a lesbian bar. That's all there is. (laughs) Um. Yeah, what's your experience been, Naomi? <laughs> uh I may or may not have had sex at a bar on my trip with a stranger. <laughs> I that was not me forcing you to um tell that story. I'm not saying <laughs> but I'm that. But I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said
1: it. Oh my god. Okay, so it's still happening. I think it's still happening. I will say this, like not to to despiseify the conversation and get it all serious, but <laughs> I think, you know, at the Uh, One of the early bars on my trip, um, the person I was meeting for the night who was a regular there said, you know, I've never had sex in this bar. And that's surprising because I've had sex at a lot of other bars. (laughs) And her point was that um, that particular bar, and I think a lot of gay bars in general have had, and dyke bars especially, have had to be much more kind of strict and by the book because... The police, the state liquor authority are constantly looking for reasons to shut them down, at least historically. Mm -hmm. And like Cubbyhole in New York has two tiny Cubbyhole sized bathrooms and they have signs on the doors that say one person at a time. And you always know somebody hasn't spent a lot of time at Cubbyhole when they try to go in there with someone else, because immediately every regular in the bar will like bang on the door and drag them out because they know that the bartender will get in lots of trouble if two people are in there at once. I'll say this. The bar that I had sex in, that I may or may not have had sex at, uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure it was not that uh, hidden. And so maybe that's like a changing tide is that like in order for a bar to feel sexy, the bar kind of has to allow it to feel sexy, right? Yeah. And yeah. That, I certainly think that's something that I see in a lot of gay men's bars is like there is total like there's the freedom to do your thing. Um, and I hope that that's something that's coming for dike Bars too, because we need more farmers market dike Bars.
2: Yeah, we <laughs> yes. I've never been in a space where, to your point, Christina, where it's like a meat market situation. Yeah,
0: that, yeah, it was an exaggeration. Or maybe I was seeing it through a particular lens. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not everyone was feeling it was like that way. Yeah. Um... <laughs> We're almost out of time, but I want to give you each the chance to share, if you want, one of your favorite anecdotes from the trip that you haven't shared yet.
2: When I was interviewing the owner of Cubbyhole, she told me that one pride, two queers were breaking up. It was hot. It was nighttime. And one of them, in a rage, ran into the bathroom and slammed the door. And um, it was kind of like quiet, if you can be quiet in Cubbyhole. For a second, there was peace. And all of a sudden, this noise this wild noise happened and the door flew open and the queer had lifted the toilet off of its cement floor, like somehow (laughs) taken the toilet and lifted it (laughs) off and it flooded the bar during Pride. And later the owner said that she and her, like someone who was working there had gone into the other bathroom to see if they could lift up the other toilet, two people. could not even make the toilet budge. And she thinks it was just, like, the mom under the minivan if a kid, like, is under there. Like, she thinks that the rage of this breakup allowed this person to just lift the toilet completely up. So, oh, my God. That's, an that's impressive.
0: My two reactions are, like, wow, like, what a strong queer. That's anyway. <laughs> My other response that's is, not. like, is that was that, like, a domestic violence type situation? <laughs> like, um, anyway, uh, I love that story. Naomi, what about you?
1: Um, I'm thinking of Nashville where I would say the bar there is called Lipstick Lounge and I had so much fun there that I feel I may not have survived another night. Um, (laughs) I was with two very fun, sweet friends of friends who were, um, very committed to showing me a good time. Uh, when I got there, I was like, wow, this place is packed. And they were like, are you kidding? Like the fact that you could get to the bar at all is a sign that it's slow here right now. Um, which was sort of, Yeah. And so, at some point, not long after that, um I see one of the people who I'm with, like her eyes got super wide, like just like wide, 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 wide wide, and I like turned to see what she was looking at, and there's a person who closer to my mother's age than my age, uh flashing the bartender um, <laughs> and the person I was with was like, "I don't care how old she is; I'll buy her a drink and <laughs> I was like, "Wow." Uh, You guys, this place is wild. And they looked at me like they were genuinely confused and they were like, it's only nine o'clock. Like, this is nothing. Awesome. <laughs> that
0: gives me hope. That gives me hope, not just for lesbian bars, but for how I'll behave when I'm 70.
1: Listen, <laughs> go to the Dyke Bar, flash the bartender, and uh, let your night roll from there. It was a good time. It was a good time. I love that. Good time. Inspirational.
0: All right. That is almost all the time we have for this show. But before we go, I've asked both of you guys to clue us into your gay agendas for this month. Um, Krista, what did you bring to share with the class?
2: Okay, my gay agenda recommendation is for leather perfumes, perfumes that smell like leather. And specifically this perfume, which is Tom Ford Tuscan leather. Now, this is probably came out in like 2014 It's an oldie but a goodie. And
0: just for our listeners who cannot see this right now, um, Krista's holding it up like a QVC presenter. It's so good.
2: (laughs) Yes, it's a a travel size, which means I think it was $50. Um, And that's a lot for a travel size perfume. But let me tell you something right now. This is being gay in a can. If you (sighs) spray this on, you will become gayer by a factor of 300 the second you put on Because I'll tell you what. Tom Ford Tuscan Leather smells like a brand new oiled black leather belt, and just spray it and watch people
0: flock to you. It is nuts. That sounds really hot. Thank you for that detailed explanation.
1: You're wow, I I actually have that exact scent.
2: Oh wow!
1: <gasps> Are you three hundred times gayer? <laughs> I mean, you'll just have to find out. I
0: don't know. Um, Naomi, what do you want to recommend?
1: Okay. My recommendation is wearing something this month that feels just a little bit spicy to you or fun or sexy. Um, For me, I have two of those things and they might match depending on what kind of a queer you are. Maybe something for everybody. First is my harness, um, which is a chest harness that I got after I had top surgery. And which, when I put it on, I always feel 300 times gayer. Which, I don't do math, but that plus Tuscan leather <laughs> might be some kind of... 600, homosexual that's how much that is. <laughs> And I love wearing my harness to the bar. Like, when I have it on, I just feel so good. Um, so, if you are a leather queer, I really recommend that for your excursions to the dyke bar this month my other thing is my current favorite t-shirt which says father figure it was made by my friend tanner shea and i feel super daddy when i wear it and you can have one too um but even if even if your father figure is not your vibe maybe you're more of looking for a father figure i feel like wearing (laughs) a shirt that makes you feel like exactly who you are is a uh it just feels so good it makes you feel really fucking gay so that's my gay agenda
0: That's Trey Sexy. I support that agenda. This has been so much fun, you guys. Um, Again, our guests on this episode have been Krista Burton, author of the book Moby Dyke. What a title. It's out now. (laughs) So great to chat with you, Krista. Thanks for coming.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This was great.
0: And Naomi Gordon-Lobel, whose writing you can find online in The Nation and elsewhere and at NaomiGordonLobel.com. Thank you for coming, Naomi. Thanks for having me. So fun. That's it for our special Pride mini episode. Please send us your feedback and topic ideas and loving criticism at outwardpodcast at slate.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Outward. And just a reminder, if you join Slate Plus, you'll get ad-free podcasts, extra segments on shows like The Waves and Working, and you'll never hit a paywall on the Slate site. To learn more, go to slate.com slash plus. June Thomas is our producer and the super strong rail alcohol in the lesbian bar vodka soda that makes your eyes water but gets the job very, very well done. (laughs) If you like Outward, please subscribe in your podcast app, tell your friends about it, tell your family about it, tell the how do you meet at Pride about it, rate and review the show so other people can find it. And please do drop us a voice memo at outwardpodcast at to tell us how you'll be celebrating or maybe not exactly celebrating Pride in this difficult but joyous year we really want to hear your voices and we'll be back in your feeds with our big bad regularly scheduled pride month episode next week june 21st jules and brian will be back for that one until then stay gay and happy pride